this crazy world we live in, when people use the word geek, it can create certain impressions. In reality, geek culture has never been more mainstream. Let's learn about the real people behind the stereotype. I'm your super dummy Paul. This is Geek. I'm Scott Weatherly. Uh, I am a podcaster and uh, in my spare time, I've uh, got a YouTube channel as well. All of that links back to uh, my initial podcast, uh, 20th Century Geek. Started in 2017 and around the idea of history and pop culture in the 20th century. I think you know we're quite aware that everything that we take for granted today, uh, all this pop culture or geek culture, really birthed in the 20th century. Um, this stuff, slight stuff before that, but real geek culture birthed in the 20th century. So the podcast was really this sort of way for me to go back and look at stuff that I love. Um, but also a lot more obscure stuff. So go back and look at the little corners of geekdom and and pop culture that I don't really get a chance to look at. Uh, That's been going since 2017. And now I've started a secondary podcast um, with uh, with good friend uh, Julian Darius, Dr. Julian Darius. Um, That is uh, Stories Out of Time and Space, which um, came about because uh, Julian joined me on several uh, episodes of 20th Century Geek came on to talk about the Killing Joke initially because he had written a book on it, and then he came on to talk about uh, Terry Gilliam, uh, Flash Gordon. Actually, it was a Flash. We did Flash Gordon, the the, the 1980s Flash Gordon, and then we talked about Terry Gilliam, and we were ta- we just kept talking, talking, and we were like, yeah, I kept thinking we should really do something with this because these are really good. These good, these episodes are fantastic, and uh, so I just. Pro- put it out and said, look, you know, how do you fancy doing a podcast? We'd sort of, you know, been in contact and sort of been talking and formed a friendship. And so I said, how about we do one about sci-fi films? And uh, we're now starting our third season. Uh, and we've done, again, all kinds of things. Like We both throw in, uh, we do 12 episodes. Uh, so I, I throw up uh, six potential films. He puts in six films. And then we, we watch them and, and talk about them. And it's worked out really well. Um, I put in, I try to look intellectual and put in certain films I think we can talk about. But unfortunately, my sort of like nerd dumb takes over. And I'm like, oh, I want to talk about Demolition Man. And, uh, you know, and then he comes in and says, well, I want to talk about Solaris, not the George Clooney one, the Russian one from 1976. (laughs) So I'm like, all right, I'll watch a three hour Russian film about a man in space. Um, and it was worth it, to be fair. It was a great, it's actually not a bad film, it was a great discussion. So that's gone really well. So, yeah, that's who I am. I, I started, I was an avid and still am an avid podcast listener. Um, and I love podcasts. I, th- I think, you know, I think it's one of the, I think, I think podcasting and I think YouTube as well has opened up this sort of content creation and this medium of discussion and engagement about things, all topics that I think is so, um, so open source and so wonderful you know the gatekeeping's gone now you know there's when i was a kid it was oh man i wish i could do a tv show i wish i could do this wish I could do that do it just do it now like i say you know that's that's gonna be the theme of the show just do it and it was it was a case of i was listening to people like kevin smith and um i think like others of the podcast there's a, there's a great one called now playing which is a film review podcast i've been listening to for years and they're really good and again i just i was saying to my wife alex i was like oh, i really you know this is 
I love this podcasting stuff. It's really good. And eventually she was just like, well, how do you do it? And I was like, I don't really know. And but I was like, oh, I'm, good point. I'll do it, you know. Um, and it's just me. I've got friends. There was a, there's a, a friend of mine, Mike uh, Kennedy, who's been on the show a number of times. But he's never sort of, he's never regular enough to have been on it enough. So it was just me. But because it's just me, I was able to think, well, what would I want to do? I want to cover whatever the hell I want. You know, you 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 see um, true crime podcasts or film review podcasts or you know the current news pop culture podcasts, and there's so many of them, and they're all fantastic in, in their own different way. But I'm not I'm not disciplined enough to stick to a single topic. You know, stories out of time and space is one thing because that's me and and Julian talking. But 20th Century Geek is literally me just saying like, fools, you know what? I'm, at the moment, I'm really interested in. And I'm going to go off and I'll do a podcast about it. So, you know, I, I, I'm literally going to post tomorrow. We're recording this on Tuesday. I'm going to post tomorrow um, my discussion podcast on The Exorcist. It's 50 years of The Exorcist. Um, and then before, the other week, I did one about Swamp Thing. And then in a couple of weeks, I've got one about um, Vincent Price. You know, and then in June, I'm doing one about short stories. And I'm doing this other stuff. And so it's literally like, you know, I'm, I'm intrigued by... I'm going to go have a look at, and then I can do a podcast about it. Um, and so it does all kinds of things. So it, it just allows me to sort of explore things. Um, and uh, yeah, that's, that's unfortunately been the sort of story of my life. That's why I didn't do, I did all right at school, but it was always like, you know, man, yeah, I get what you're teaching me. It's boring. I want to go look at the thing over there because that seems more interesting to me. Um, and now I can do that with the podcast and, and hopefully people will listen there's two kinds in this thing you know and if i got paid to do what i do on the podcast like you know that is the true dream but i think there's a, there's a thing that you you see the podcasts that are doing really well and there's some in fact there's some incredibly professional podcasts um, independent or amateur podcasts that are just incredibly well done that you know the the um the content is there the um editing and the, the, the sort of the audio and the technical and all that is in place and it's it, they, they're really good and so a lot of those will stand up and they, you know, they get their head above the parapet and they get spotted and they do really well um and you know i've tried to do things i think the, the thing is and i've had feed feedback i about 18 months ago i put a thing out to get some feedback just from general listeners in different ways and i got quite a bit and there were people that came back and did say, "Oh, I said, you know, I've li- I've tried to listen to your podcast, but it's too your your topics are too sporadic. You're too sort of you know all over the place with what you're talking about." But then others were coming back and saying, "Like, no, I love that because it means like, you know you are introducing me to so many different things, whether it be films or you know comics or books or uh, you know all kinds of TV shows." Um, and so I was like, "Yeah, yeah, that's." what I want to do. So yeah, I'll stick to it then. If it, you know, at least there's people that seem to be listening. So again, like my listening habits for podcasts is so different. I, I do listen to sort of, at the moment I'm going through a bit of a, um, how to describe it, esoteric kind of sort of like, you know, podcasts, like stuff about sort of like, not so much paranormal, but like, uh, there's a, there's a, there's a podcast called weird studies and it's more about this idea of just like questioning, uh, it's like it's a philo- they call it an art and philosophy podcast. It sort of starts with that, but it's always about this idea of like questioning um, different ways of questioning your reality. And then they'll they'll pull in like philosophy and they pull in all these different sort of things. 
and it's sort of um I have to be sort of ready for it at times. Like I've listened to them when I'm walking the dog and I'm like, I can't listen to this right now. Like they're really sort of challenging my brain. I've just, you know, I have to be doing this at a different time. Um, they had one recently where they were talking about the idea of, um, uh, there were two episodes that I had, literally had to stop and I came back and had to uh, think about them. There's one could talk about hyperstition, which is about this idea that through the, the idea of thought process and about through sort of group think you can bring something into reality uh, and how that sort of you know certain groups believe this and how it's sort of it's manifested through social media and other things in modern um uh you know in, in modern day but people like alistair crowley believed in this like you know 100, 100 years ago and even before and so that really sort of like oh my god that's that's really cool and then they sort of threw in um uh, what's it called uh, simulation theory was another one they sort of touched on uh, and this idea that we don't actually exist, we're all actually sort of like, you know, part of a greater simulation for somebody else. And that just blew my brain. I was like, oh, that's it. No, I, can't. <laughs> I cannot be walking through a wood, walking the dog, while I'm thinking about the fact I may not exist. My my, uh, <laughs> my, my ego and uh, my, <laughs> I, uh, my ego, my mind can't cope with that right now. Um, so, I'll, yeah, I'll go back to one of my other podcasts, listen to, listen to something else for a little bit. Geekdom is a big part of who I am. Um, you know, I think it's a big part of what you, you invest in these. But outside of that, yeah, I've got, you know, got, got the, the family. So um, my wife, Alex, um, coming up to our 10th anniversary this year. Um, and we've got a little little girl, uh, Ellie, who's eight, uh, and, and our dog, Sky. Uh, and so you have, you know, yes, yeah, so I've got this sort of like this life outside, of, which is bizarre because, again, sort of um, you say about outside of geekdom, but it's more outside of like you know this fandom. I've got my specific fandom and stuff, but um, life with those is just normal. Like you know, you have your everyday sort of like uh, you know, uh, concerns and qualms, and then we do this. And we've got you know, you got to pay the bills, so we'll get onto the job in a moment. But then I sort of like you know, uh, my wife has her sort of like fandom. She's not a geek in any by any stretch. Like she'll watch certain certain things, but like Alex has got her own hobbies and interests, and you know that's where we sort of overlap. She's very much into like personality theory. Um, and you know, I love to have those sort of discussions. Again, it sort of goes into this thing of me dabbling in them and a number of things where I'm like, oh, fingering that pie, that sounds interesting. Um, and you know, especially there's one called the MBTI um, theory, which uh, uh, created by a mother and daughter combo Myers Briggs. And uh, for anyone listening that knows what it is, I'm an ENTP, which is an extroverted, intuitive, thinking, perceiving, um, which basically means I'm a loudmouth who thinks he's right all the time. That's pretty much what it comes down to. Um, which is true, I am right most of the time. Um, just don't tell Alex that I think that. Um, but yeah, that, so that that sort of like so you know we we have a great relationship in that way that you know we can explore these ideas and we have these discussions. But then there's also the time we just kick back and we watch sort of like Netflix and just sort of you know um, watch way too many episodes. You're like looking at you watch and you're like, oh, can we watch one more episode of this thing before we have to drag ourselves off to bed? Um, but Ellie, my daughter, is is, is interesting. I, I tried on a number of occasions to introduce her to um, different elements of geekdom. So, you know, there's like the superhero um, girls cartoons and there's been other bits and pieces and that sort of thing. She's never really been interested. Um, and again, like she's got very much her own, her own thing, but it's nice. I love seeing her interests grow. And so she starts off and she seems to have like a real fantasy bent, which is quite cool. Um, you know, she loves like My Little Ponies, and she's big into dragons at the moment. That's what the How to Train Your Dragon is her favorite set of films at the moment. And uh, 
again, sort of like trying to lead her through these things. Um, it's quite interesting because through lockdown, and we, you know, obviously we've we've all gone through this worldwide. We've gone through this, this experience now of lockdown and being trapped at home. And you know, I um, I don't lament my situation. I think you know I'm quite lucky in many respects. I live in an, I live in a lovely place. I love where I live. I've got a you know nice of home. There's only three of us. I've got one kid, so it's not so hard to do homeschooling with one compared to other people who have got like two or three kids or like, you know, stuck in a flat and all these other situations. So it's been not been so bad. But also like to see her sort of develop and, and sort of evolve her interests. And she started to write. And so these stories are now coming out of her as well. And she's telling these stories and her own humour and stuff. So every now and then I'll sort of drop things in. I'm, I'm really tempted to try her on Pr- uh, Terry Pratchett. Uh, there's, a, there's a book called Guards Guards, which has got dragons in. So I'm a bit like, I'm like, oh, that's a bit of a, that's a bit of a, there's a Venn diagram there. <laughs> I think I can try and slot that into. Is she too young? She's only eight, but you know, it's, it's that sort of, uh, you know, regardless of that, we'll see what happens. Um, yeah, but that's 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 what the home life. You know, I live I live in a, in a relatively small village in the, in the middle of the, the national forest, which sounds really idyllic when you say it, but it's not. You know, this is this is Britain. I don't live in the the, the home counties. Um, I am lucky enough that I can step out my door and go for a walk, you know, take the dog or the family for a walk. And I can, well, literally I, I can walk out my back and I'm into a farmer's fields and the, you know, we can just, the dog can run around and throw the ball and country lanes and all that sort of stuff. So I'm really lucky um, where I live. So that's, that's been a, a big part of, of, of the lockdown, you know? So again, I know people that live in the in, in cities where they're like, yeah, I can barely leave my house. And I'm like, I can walk for four or five miles and not see anyone. <laughs> it's It's been quite cool. Um, but in the same thing, I, I, I've, I've also had to work from home, which forms bad habits. Um, but, you know, um, I work from home. I'm a project manager <clears throat> working for Barrett Homes, uh, mostly in sort of IT deployment. And, um, it, you know, uh, it's... Working working remotely and working digitally is a whole different ball game because uh, as a project manager, you know so you have uh, the thing you've got to deliver, the the stakeholders you've got to speak to, and you've got all those restrictions of you know uh, build time and budget and duds and time, all this other stuff. And so before lockdown, pre-COVID, my life was very much sort of like meetings, but also like running around and talking to people on the phone, sort of like, you know, you're happy with this. We've got this problem. How do we fix this? What are you doing? How are you doing this? And just being on people's back and then, you know, checking against the plan. Right, we've got, I've got to have this done in a week. Are you going to have it done in a week? No, we're not. Right, well, why not? How can I help you? What's going to happen? You know, just constantly trying to keep the cogs moving of this stuff. And so I'd be all over the place doing it remotely. Like, I'm sat here with headphones on now talking to a microphone. And that's pretty much what my date is now, where I'm sort of like, you know, I'm calling people up or I'm I'm on chat or I'm on something else and sort of doing the same thing. But the problem is, um, I find it interesting. I'm a big guy. I'm I'm you know, I'm six foot and I'm 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 uh, I wouldn't say I'm uh, put it this way, you know, I'm rotund. Let's put it that I'm Rubenesque. I'm uh, I'm curvaceous. Um I think the Americans call it thick. Um and uh, so I can sort of stand over someone, and it's hard to ignore me, basically. I'll be like, you know, what are you, what are you doing? What, what's going on with work? Um, when you're doing it remotely, you keep, you're looking to see if they're available, and you're calling them up, and they're just bleeding, ignoring me. <laughs> I can't get the sod on the phone. 
and you end up calling to other people. You're like, can you, can you give you know, can you give Dave a nudge to come and give me a call back, please? I really need to talk to him about this thing. So it's had its own challenges. Um, but again, because of, because uh, of where I live, I've had a I've got a home office. So I've been able to sort of sit in that. I feel like I'm sort of just pimping myself here, but like I've got, I've got we've managed to turn the spare room into an office. But then that also meant that I have all my books behind me. You can sort of just see them over my shoulder. Uh, and if if anyone's ever watched, we did we sort of did a video version of stories at a time and space. And often you can see just behind me the sort of all my books and all this other stuff. And so there will be times I'll be on like a workshop or I'll be on a meeting or something that's you know, lasting an hour or more, and I'm not the focus of it. I'm not facilitated. I'm just paying attention. That my mind wanders, and I'm like, do you know what? I I haven't read Grant Morrison's JLA for quite some time. I should probably get that down and have a look at that. <laughs> and then all of a sudden someone's asking me a question. Like, Scott, do you agree with what we said? And I'm like, um, sorry, sorry, could you repeat that? Uh, it, it cracked. I lost a lot. The broadband must be suffering. I didn't hear you. So, you know, it swings and roundabouts, really. I get to I get to use the uh, remote excuses as well. Um, but, yeah, that, that's sort of the life. I mean, predominantly, like I said, that's the life. That's the job I have, uh, you know, 9 to 5 or 8.30 to 5.30 most days. And um, it's... Uh, it's been an interesting one during lockdown in particular, but uh, yeah, outside of that, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to describe yourself outside of your hobbies because you're sort of focusing so much, but uh, I, again, project management is, is a big part of my life. Not that I like doing it. I sort of fell into it by accident, to be perfectly honest. <clears throat> I worked for um, Capita. Uh, if anyone's ever worked for them, it's sort of a contract company, they pick all kinds of different bits and pieces. And the contract they were working on was the London congestion charging. And it moved from Capita to NCP. It wasn't NCP car parking, but it was a branch of that. And um, the, the the contract transfer hadn't gone well. And uh, they hadn't shared data. And we turned up on the first day. You know, all right, here's what, where's what we've got to do. Where's the team? What we've got to do. Systems don't work. Didn't have enough chairs. It was an absolute, absolute clusterfuck. And um, over about the period of about six, seven weeks... I just kept inserting myself into problems to fix them because other people weren't. And they had these two contractor guys come in and one of them kept saying, oh, he's an, he's an engineering BA. And I didn't know what that was. So I was asking him, so what is it you're doing? Oh, I've got to gather the requirements. I've got to understand what the problem is. Blah, blah. Oh, okay. Well, I can tell you what the problem is because I've already had the conversations. <clears throat> and eventually I'll get, I'll go start getting pulled into these meetings to say, well, you know, Scott knows what he's talking about. Let's get him to review this stuff. You become like a subject matter expert. And then I remember like having the conversation with Alex at the time. I said, like, I really think this is, I could do good here. I'm fixing things. I feel like I'm good about this. And so I went on a course and then I got, I, I was like, oh, oh, there's a role here. There's an actual job role. <laughs> Project management is this actual job. Um, and so I, 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 I sort of worked, I worked towards that. Uh, and that was like oh, 10 years ago now. Actually, beyond the fucking hell, it'd be eleven years ago that that happened. Uh, that I ended up taking a role as a, as, a, as a as a junior PM, uh, project support, and uh, it sort of went from there. But um, you know, eleven years later, and you look at it, and you go, yeah, it's just it's like every job. It's it's not you know, it's, it's a slog. You know, things are still going to work, and you're still going to get done, things done, and you've got to do them as cheaply as possible, as fast as possible, and even at the end of it, the business isn't going to be completely happy with it. So. As I said, you know, I said before, I said, like, you know, I didn't, I, I paid attention to school, but my mind often wandered. Um, and so I was always looking to be entertained. And so the things I always landed on was something that was, was going to interest me. And the, 
the two things I remember picking up as a kid that kicked me off on this journey was weirdly was the Beano and the Dandy, which are like kids comics, uh, been around since the thirties. They predate Superman. You know, everyone says, "Oh, that's the first comic." Well, no, actually, the Brits did it. The Scottish, I should say, did it first. Actually, but there you go. Um, and so I, I, I picked those up um, as a kid. There was an annual I got every year, and I'd get the Beano and Danny. So I, I knew of comics, and I loved them. I thought they were fantastic. I think I still think they're a great entry point for kids. You know, it's this sort of short sequential art things. They're basically a joke told over a couple of pages. I mean, you know, to t- to tell them well is 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 good storytelling and the arts um, phenomenally well done sort of like, for, you know, in that humorous sort of um, cartoony way. Um, and so that sort of stopped me off on the, that journey. But the other one was that if you've seen these choose your own adventure books. So it's sort of like you read a chapter and it says, uh, you know, you sort of say, so um, you'd be a knight and you get to a cave and it's basically, like, I think they were based off sort of dungeons and dragons, if I remember rightly, but it's basically you're a knight and you're in the cave. Do you do this or do you do this? If you choose the first one, go to page 30. If you choose the other one, go to page 62. And then you'd, you'd, you'd go and eventually it would lead you to the end of that story. And I loved those. I thought they were fantastic. I thought they were really, really cool. Um, and that sort of started me off where I was like, you know, I love read. I, I started to love reading through them and I love comics through the Beano. And then you sort of reach a point where you go like, well, the Beano's good, but it's not, it's not scratching that itch anymore. You know, I need something different. And the same with the Choose Your Own Adventure books. I started to explore more. Um, and with the comics, I was sort of saved. I've, I've, I've told this story a few places and it's, uh, it's, it's, I, I remember quite vividly going on a during some holidays, being taken on a a trip by my grandparents and being given a couple of quid to go into the shop and be like, you know, you're going to go on a coach, we're going to go somewhere, and you need to entertain yourself. So go find a, a comic or a book, or, you know, like a magazine or something to entertain yourself with. Expecting fully to go in and buy um, a Dino or a, 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 Be- a Beano or a Dandy, or possibly even a Look In. If anyone's old enough to remember Look In, you know. You, you really sort of uh, no, no one listens to this is going to remember looking or even that obscure. <laughs> it was like a pop culture magazine from the eighties. Um, but I was shifting through the shelves and I saw this cover. It was bright orange, and there was a character on it like beating the crap out of these three other people. And he was clad in blue, and his helmet on, and these big shoulder pads. And I was like, "What the hell is this?" Pulls it off the shelf, likes it. It's black and white inked art inside of it this crazy landscape with like aliens and monsters and this dude on his massive motorcycle just beating around people around their head with a club and i'm like why wow, this is awesome judge dread the complete uh, the complete judge dread issue seven from right now because i've recently gone back to find out what it was and it, it, it was um t- uh, 10 chapters of um an early story because this is what this was it was the reprinting of sort of the judge dread stories from 2000 ad and it was reprinting the sort of second half of uh, the Cursed Earth saga. Um, so I was being introduced to like, to like Brian Bolland and Mike, uh, Mike McMahon art like from an early age. And I'm like, this is nuts. But I went up and bought it. And I remember Nancy and I'm going to come out and I'm like, I've got this. And she was like, mm, not, I'm, not, I'm not sure your mum's going to be happy about this. But I'm like, this is amazing. And I, I read that magazine. I read that comic to bits. Like it fell apart. Um, but I loved it, and it's it, you know it's it's 
it was phenomenal. It still is. I mean, the Cursed Earth and any those early Judas Dread stories are really good. But I went back to the to the, the shop and I was like, okay, I need to find more of this. I need I need more. There's my fix, you know. Sort of got the, the itch now. Chasing the dragon, um, and they didn't have. It was before the next issue came out. He said, oh, but the, the guy behind the counter. But I do have 2000 AD. And I was like, oh, hello, what's this? So it's got Judas Dread in. This is like 91, 92, this must have been. And it's got all this other stuff in. You know, so it's like, um, for those that don't know, 2000 AD, it's a British anthology, sci-fi sort of horror, fantasy anthology. It's been around since 1977. Um, and each issue is a selection, usually about five or six, eight-page stories in parts. So, you know, you'll get like part one through to whatever. And I sort of started in those early 90s. And so I was introduced to all these characters and so you've gone from like the Beano and Dandy with like, you know, the Bash Street kids and uh, Dennis the Menace and, you know, uh, Ivan the Terrible to Judge Dredd, Rogue Trooper, Slain. Um, you know, I, I've basically gone to like, <laughs> to these sort of like, this hard edge sci fi concepts or fantasy concepts. Um, and it was, a, it was a bit of a sort of a birth of fire where I'm like, oh, this is amazing. This is really good. And that was it for years then. I was, I was proper dedicated to 2000 AD. Um, and loved it. Absolutely loved it. It's still something I still dip into frequently. I'll go back and I'll start reading again for a little bit, and and then sort of might fall off a bit. But <clears throat> and the, the same sort of thing happened with the books. And um, I'd obviously read these other books at school, and then all of a sudden, I remember being handed by an aunt uh, a copy of Pet Cemetery, uh, Stephen King's Pet Cemetery. I must have been like eleven, and uh, and she was like, you know, you might you might want to try this. And um, again, I, I, I tried to read it, and I struggled with it a bit. Um, I don't think I was quite ready for it, to be honest. Um, and so I kept, I found other books, and I just kept reading. And eventually, I think I read Pet Cemetery a couple of years later, and I was really into it. And again, I went through a Stephen King phase, as everybody does in their teens. And that's when I sort of stumbled across a whole bunch of other things. Like you know, um, I mentioned recently talking to Mike about how I sort of stumbled across sort of like Lovecraft when I was a teen, and um, Dean Koontz and James Herbert and all these other sort of you know, these horror writers. And I was just like that. They were the ones. I mean, if, if anything, when I when I couldn't get onto James uh, Stephen King, and this doesn't this is no representation of their material, but I, I did land on James Herbert. So I couldn't read Pet Cemetery because it was like seven hundred pages thick, and I'm like, that sounds like a lot of work. But I could read James Herbert's The Rats, which is like two hundred pages and is just awesome. So, um. It was just this gradual thing where in the 90s, and that was it then. And then um, I found, as I got a bit older, and I, you know, I earned money from early first jobs, that sort of thing. I found Forbidden Planet, and that was like, you know, you walk into Forbidden Planet for the first time as a kid. And uh, it's like, you see it as a cliche, you know, you sort of like, oh, this halo moment of like, you know, what what is this? There's a place I can go, and these other people love the things I love. And then you just grind the shelves, and you're like, what's this? What's this? Oh, my God, that's amazing. And that's when I really got into like American comics. It took me a while to get to American comics. I'd read bits and pieces, you know, sort of. Like, and I'd watched all the cartoons as a kid. Like, the early 90s was replete with them. You had, like, Bat- the adventures of, you know, Batman the Animated Series, uh, the X-Men, <clears throat> um, Spider-Man, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I was well aware of all, all, all the... Um, all the American stuff, but it never really interested me, mainly because I was looking at the superhero stuff and going, yeah, it's good, I'm enjoying that. But it's not 
this it's not as violent as what I'm reading in 2008 D. So do you know what? I think I'll stick with this for now. Um so yeah. Um it's the same with films. I mean I think um I have a, a pretty atypical well, I say it's atypical, is it common? I don't know. Well, I'm big into films, and again, sort of, it's one of those parts of geek culture, isn't it? It's sort of like you know, films are a big part of that. And um, be- before streaming, before um, uh, Blu-ray and all these other things, before Blockbuster, so we're going back a bit. Well, at least back back before local Blockbuster to me in Coventry, uh, 1980s Coventry, where I lived, 1980s Orsley Park. There was a book. Sh- it was a de- uh, a video rental. There were two video rentals near me. And they both stank awful for some reason. I don't know why. They were just horrible to go in because they, they just absolutely stank. Um, but I did love going in them. And the one closest to us um, was was run by a guy called Dave. I always remember he was called Dave. May not have been. It's just in my head I had this memory of everyone calling him Dave. Um, <laughs> and going in there and renting things like Ghostbusters from when I was a kid, like I was obsessed with Ghostbusters, but then renting all the typical eighties films, you know, sort of like everything like Ghostbusters and Goonies, Back to the Future, Short Circuit, da, da, da. and then going into the nineties and just free, frequenting these shops, you know, every weekend after school, after school, because the thing was, well, it was opposite my primary school which was one thing. So even as a small child, I was like, oh, video show opens open. I'll, uh... All the other kids were going into the like going into the sweet shop. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll be there in a minute. I'm just going to go have a look in the video shop to see what's in there. Um, and then as I, was a, as I was a teenager coming back from school, my bus stop was right, again, was right outside this, um, right outside this video shop. So I'd, I'd pop in there. So I got, I got to know this guy in in a sort of like you know not in a weird way he was just like he recognized i would come in and, and the shop quite a lot and um if anyone's ever seen video cover art from the 80s um it's it's awesome you know it's one of those things where you think like if i could get like an a2 or like a big book of, of, of like, you know video cover art from the 80s i think that'd be phenomenal because they didn't have digital effects. They didn't have like, computerization. So there, there was so many painted covers. And especially in the horror section or the fantasy section, these sort of covers of like... I, I, there are films I still haven't seen that I recognise because of the covers. You know, these sort of like bizarre and, and grotesque covers that were created in the 80s. Absolutely brilliant painted covers. Um, and so he would start giving me posters. He's like, oh, I've got... Basically... He's like, oh, I've had to clear out. I've got these posters. Do you want them? So basically, sort of, instead of binning them, I, I got them home. My mum and dad were like, oh, Jesus Christ, what, what, what have you got now? But I had them all over my wall. But one of the means I remember the most, I had a standee. I remember this standee. It was about three feet tall, big cardboard cutout thing it was, of the gate two. And what it was, it was a hand coming out the floor. It's a big, like, monstrous hand coming out of the ground. And I had it in the corner of my room for years. For about two or three years, this thing lived in the corner of my room. And my mum hated it, absolutely hated it. But it was awesome. It was absolutely awesome. Um, and so, yeah, that's that was sort of my... I, 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 I would fre- frequent this video shop and rent these films. But also, like, I was, I'm, I still am. I love art. And I was obsessed with these video covers. Like, you know, there's, I don't think we get it anymore um, because of streaming and all this other stuff. I think poster art is crap. 
I think the majority of poster art this day these days is absolute garbage. You know, I miss the Drew Struzan years. You know, this guy. If you know, um, there's certain people you go that you know that sort of molded your childhood, and so like you know, like um, was it John Williams' music? You know, basically molded my childhood. John Williams' sort of musical scores molded my childhood. Steven Spielberg molded my childhood. Drew Struzan's posters molded my childhood. Like this guy did everything. All all those eighties films that you know. This guy did a poster for them, and all the Indiana Jones stuff. I think you know, sort of Back to the Future. The, that, that those famous po- pictures of Marty stepping out of the the DeLorean. All that's Drew Stru- Goonies, Drew Struz, and ET. Like you know, all these famous, famous. So you, he's a name you've pr- people listening may not have heard of, but like seriously, go check out Drew Struz and the art. He's an absolute. Um, I think he may have even did like the Police Academy ones as well. You know, the, sort of the group ones they did of, of all the characters so yeah I, I, it just sort of yeah these things sort of just creep up on you as a kid and then all of a sudden i'm like oh no it's just part of my life and i love it and i'm gonna keep exploring this stuff um and and you know weirdly i think that's part of the the, the thing with the 20th century geek uh, podcast very much is about nostalgia um, not that I look or cherish the past. It's not like I constantly look back. I, I happily look forward, and I'm, you know, I'm always excited about new things. But I also think it's important to look back and go, don't forget how good things were. Like, don't just crap on everything. Oh, it's, you know, it's old. It's old. One of the things that you know, I hate when people are like, don't watch black and white films. Why? Because they're old. You don't. Yeah, but there's some really good ones. Like you know, let's go back and have a look at these really good black and white films. Um. And I, I recently I actually got really I got really annoyed because it was uh, um, you see people um, what was it the Zack Snyder's Justice League and then he released sort of like the grey version and everyone's like, oh yeah no yeah when things things are classy when they're in black and white and you go have have you watched have you gone back and watched Psycho or have you, have you gone back and watched Citizen Kane have you watched these major black and white no I don't, I don't watch black and white films but you you've just said you're going to sit through a four hour black and white you know, Zack Snyder Justice League. Go back and watch a good film. Um, that'll have set people off. Um, so yeah, I, I do think it's important. To, I, I do, I do think it's important to go back and um, you know to understand where these things have come from. So that there, that's sort of my that rambling sort of story is my secret origin for all those kinds of things. What do you think? Was it about that world as a kid in Coventry that? sort of grabs you obviously like being that young and suddenly been thrown into judge dread that's it's quite hard to ignore but what do you think was it about all of that that kept you involved uh, i think it's because um i don't i don't think it was just being coventry i think it's just a, it's a tip, uh, you know, typical thing of being sort of a kid in 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 the real world you know it's it's let's be fair it's pretty dull for the most part, like, you know, you, you may watch all these TV shows where school is fascinating, you know, sort of like we don't live in Beverly Hills, 90210 or Saved by the Bell. I'm going to keep with the, with the, with the eighties uh, and nineties references. Um, we don't go to any of those schools, you know, hell, I didn't even go to Grange Hill. Like, you know, my school was really boring. Um, and so like, and, and, and don't forget as well, this, this was sort of like pre, big game consoles you know like my, my first game um platform was a spectrum zx spectrum i had i don't know what the, what the eight bit you know whatever it was two bit cries it was rubbish um 
the first game yeah, for anybody out there that's listening, it's the first computer game I ever played. People talk about Pong and all these other songs. I, it was called Jet Set Willy. Um, and it was a game where it had a big fat joystick on the ZX Spectrum, big fat spe- uh, joystick. And you were this little character called Willy, and you had to go around the house collecting gold things to appease your wife because you, you wouldn't allow you to go to bed because you'd broken things. Like, bizarre game. And then if you went around the house, there was like flying feet that would come up and down and squish you and that sort of stuff. It was a really bizarre game. But I, I remember playing that loads. Um, and so, like you say, you know, this isn't like where you now I look at games and I'm like, that's incredible. You know, that, I can see why people play the PlayStation 4 and all this other stuff and get really invested in these games. So I think they're phenomenal. So for me, that was that was my world. So, you know, I didn't have the gaming world and that sort of thing. So for me, this this um, uh, release or this this portal into another world that sort of like you know just fascinated me it was was in particular was was two thousand AD because it was a variety because because you know you may have noticed that my attention pings off to so many of the different things. Two thousand AD was perfect. I'm like, oh, I'm eight eight pages and I'm done. Next story, you know, and each one was different. Um, so you'd have sort of like, you may have, I don't know, um, a hard hitting dread story, or, you know, like a bit or a big dread epic or something, or even like a strange comedy story. But then I'd get onto like a book by Pat Mills and it's got like some political allegory sort of going on with like Nemesis the Warlock or Finn or something like that. And then I'll move across to like, you know, Rogue Trooper or um, early, another thing is early sort of Grant Morrison and Mark Millar and these other sort of popping up in these books and sort of you go so it, to me that was my exit one that's what it kept me interested because it was like every week it was like oh someone new coming on it's, you know it's this, this this thing is is fascinating um and also the thing is i wasn't into one of the things it was, it was a real i won't say it was an issue for them but i think it was a disappointment in my parents when i was a when i was a small kid before secondary school so at, at primary school i wasn't into sports couldn't play for toffee like i am terrible at football have no interest in it whatsoever um, and and so there was my dad would try. He'd take me down to the, like the local sports club, you know. Like I'd go, go join your friends and play football. And I'd be like, oh, it's cold, isn't it? It's wet. <laughs> I don't I don't want to. And I wasn't good at it. Like you know, he, he made me try and play. I tried to play football, cricket, uh, tennis, all of it. None of it worked. Um, and so each time I was coming back and I was like, no, I want to go read this comic or I want to go read this book or I want to watch this film and this other stuff. And the, 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 around this time, just more stuff kept hitting me. I think I just hit a bit of a crest at sort of towards the late 80s, early 90s. But about 89 to 92 is this period where I just sort of hit my stride of like sci-fi and fantasy and those other things. And it just it just kept coming. I mean, around this area as well, I, had, I, found, um, I was introduced to Red Dwarf, um, British... Um, science fiction comedy of you know these group of four people. Uh, I say people: one human, uh, an evolved cat, a dead a hologram of a dead person, and a robot uh, trapped in deep, in deep space, three million years into deep space. And uh, again, I'm like, what's this? This is bizarre. And I, I you know, I was I was sort of fascinated by Red Dwarf, and so it, it, it baffled my parents a little bit. Because they were like, well, what, what, don't you want to do these things? These things that like, we expect boys to do. And I was like, no, not really. I'd rather just do this. Like, I went to Scouts and I went to Cubs, you know, that kind of jazz. And I was all right at it. But I always wanted to be doing, you know, something something related to more to these things, these, these creative outputs. 
Uh, which probably explains the weight problems, really, because I'm more like, now I'm going to sit my lardy ass down and, and read a book rather than go out and play football. Um, but that that was the thing. It was, it, you know, it wasn't until, um, I mean, when I went to secondary school, I found rugby, and that's when I sort of hit my stride in that sort of path. But um, no, it was just this exit. I think the other thing is, I think you, you, you have families that pass these things down. You know, you hear these things of generational things where you say, like, oh, I've... I, I, um, I, in fact, I recently did a series of podcasts talking to people about a similar thing, uh, creatives talking about their how they got into things. And I spoke to like Paul Cornell and, and Stephen Volk and a few others, and uh, Grady Hendricks, and said to them, how did you get into this kind of stuff? And a lot of them are like, oh, I found a box full of my dad's old paperbacks. You know, so Paul Cornell was very much like, oh, yeah, my, my older brother was very much into this doctor who when i read this stuff and that sort of was his path i never had that like you know my dad is um was into football and was very much sort of like into um his things very much since you know he's a very handy guy sort of does his bits and pieces and and so there was none of that for me i didn't have this creative outlet i think i got it more from my grandparents my uh, my granddad um one was very, my dad's dad was very much like him. He was very sort of like straightforward. He was very much about doing handyman tasks and it was all about, you know, not being proper, but it was, it was more tactile, more hands-on with this kind of stuff. Loving, but not, you know, not really into that kind of stuff. <clears throat> and, but my other granddad, my mum's dad was, um, would, you know, wrote his own jokes, was a magician, did all this other stuff. And I'm like, well, that's, that's, that's the stuff I'm a bit more like. That's weird. That's fun. That I, you can do that. You don't have to be a professional. That's fantastic. Um, and so that was sort of like what tickled my brain. But to, to to know that you can go and do these things and read this stuff is what fascinated me really. Um, and so I had to sort of farm my own path a little bit, um, which is why I think I came to some of the stuff late, like quite late. You know, there's other stuff I came to like much later. But I'm like, yeah, you know, if I've had that guide, if I've had that sort of like the Obi Wan character teach, you know, teach me the things, I'd have been uh, probably a bit more introduced to things a little bit earlier. But um, yeah, it, it, I think it's just this idea of being in a different, being a, <clears throat> as you can see, I love variety. You know, I love the idea that people can choose a path and do these different things uh, and come at them in a different way. Um, and, and so that's what's always fascinated me to say, like, you know, 2008 filled with different people's objectives or different people's stories. But then the same with like books, you know, I can read all these different authors and they've all got a different thing. This is one of the things I'm, I'm so excited about in modern um, creative world that we're in at the moment is, um, and it's a hugely valid point is we are getting so many new storytellers through, you know, I'm um, a middle-aged white guy. Now, you know, my story has been told. I'm telling you my story. And I kept saying, it's pretty atypical. You know, it's pretty standard. So I want to see the stories that come out of these other people, out of men, you know, women, um, people in the LGBTQ community or whatever, That you know, these trans people. Great. Let them tell a story. Let them get involved because I just want to hear their, I want to see their interpretation of this stuff because, it's going to be fascinating. It's going to be good. They've got a story to tell. They've got a perspective to give. All of that is that that's why we're in this community. <laughs> that's why we're in this stuff. You know, you science fiction is about in particular, you know, or even horror, you know, they all work in allegory. You know, they're telling a story, but they're not telling the story you think they're telling in many cases. 
and so this is the perfect opportunity. So I love listening to, you know, stories from other people. Like, you know, yeah, you know, what the vast majority of this stuff is probably from someone who was of my sort of in ethnic background. That's fine. So that's, and I like all that stuff. But then I'm now going to be in a place where I'm going, I really want to go out and read that comic because I've not read that story or from, the, from that perspective. I'll give it a go. What crap for me, but I'm still happy that it exists. Um, it's a bit like, you know, the, the, the best example is recently is um, the Birds of Prey movie, the Harley Quinn Birds of Prey movie. Um, not for me, if I'm perfectly honest. Watched the trailer, instantly thought, this is just, this is going to rub me up the wrong way. But you know what? I'm really glad this, I'm really glad this exists because I'm so bored of all this. I'm like, you know, we've had all the other stuff. Go try this stuff. That's the thing that's exciting to me. It's like, go try this stuff. It's a bit like, you know, um, like, you know, I I understand why Black Panther was so successful. And I also think I understand why Shang-Chi is going to be so successful because they're just doing something different. They're trying something new, and they're coming from a different perspective and a different sort of background. So that that's what that's what keeps me interested. That's what's what's in there for me is the opportunity to just keep dipping into different bits and pieces and like, oh, what's this? Oh, what's that? One of the one of the things I hate in work is when you know is the reporting element when I've got to go. I'm doing this, and this is how well, and this is why I'm doing it. It really grinds my gears. So to have the opportunity to do things that just like I'm not having to report to someone to say why I'm doing those things, you know, and, and I can just all of a sudden pick up and do something else. Um, but, but the other thing as well is it sort of opens me up to talk to people as well. Um, you know, just doing things like this. I love that this is the endeavor that you've gone. This is an idea I've had and I'm going to try this. Um, and I, I, you know, I can do that. Sort of, I've, I've reached out to people um that have produced things content that I'm really fond of, you know, I really really love. Most of the time I'm thinking it's not gonna lead to anything, you know. Um, but you never know. And 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 you know, sort of like probably like eight times out of ten, it doesn't. But then all of a sudden, like I get the opportunity to talk to people I'm like, oh Christ, I've got to speak to these people. That's really amazing. I mean, for example, um a couple that really baffled me relatively early on. And I'm struggling to remember the guy's name now, but there was there's an actor, there's a stunt guy who um, he's like a not the term is like a short person uh, who was Howard the Duck, uh, he was Chucky, uh, and a few other things. And again, like I, I just reached out to him and I was like, I, I, I'd just like to talk to you about the films you've done for the podcast. And he was like, Yeah, we can do that. And I was just like, Oh Christ, awesome! So I got to speak to him for for you know, an hour and a bit. And I did the same with a couple of others. Like there was a show called Eerie Indiana that, like, from the nineties. And I reached out to the cast. And I got to speak to some of the cast for the podcast. Um, but one of the weirdest ones was um, I don't know if you've heard of Sharp. Like Sean Bean played him in, in the TV show. But like, you know, it seems to box uh, Sharp's Gold or Sharp's whatever. Napoleonic Soldier, written by Bernard Cro- uh, Cornwell. And I've read them for years, you know, and this, oh, you know, I really should reach out. I want to reach out to the cast. I'm never going to get Sean Bean, you know, so I'll reach out to some of the others. And I got a member of the cast. Um, I, got, I got a member of the cast to come on. And um, I thought, you know what, real top off. I'm going to reach out to Bernard Cornwall through his work website. And uh, he, he, he said, yeah, I can do a half hour phone call. <laughs> and I was just like, wow, all right. 
Excellent. That's really exciting to me. That is. That's you know you can't do. I couldn't just wait if I didn't have the podcast. It's not like I'm going to wake up on a Saturday morning and go. Really think I need to? I'm going to reach out to Bernard Cottonwell just to have a conversation with him because that's weird. But if I've got the podcast to say, well, I'm actually doing it to produce content to send it out into the world, then it sort of gives me a justification to do these things that, in my own head, I'm going, well, I can't really reach out to. You know, <laughs> I can't. It's. It, in some way, it probably considered stalking if I didn't have a podcast. You know, I'm sort of sending, a, e- e- emailing Paul Cornell. I love you, and I love your Doctor Who work. Can I talk to you? Sounds creepy, doesn't it? Really. Um, but if you say I want to talk to you for my podcast, it sounds a little less creepy. Um, and that's so that's been the joy of this is I've just been able to do that kind of thing. Um, and uh, sometimes it hasn't worked, but there's been others where I've, I've spoken to people repeatedly you know there's a couple of people i've spoken to and it's just been such a joy that i've gone hey, do you want to come back and do something someone else uh which is how i ended up sort of working with julian quite a lot um but yeah there's been a few others where i just sort of they're just such wonderful people i've had them on several times and um yeah i don't consider them friends but i consider that they, they, they've, they've been really got good to me a guy called uh, dave moody who um writes uh lots of sort of horror and zombie fiction stuff um some really good stuff. Uh, books is called Autumn, and then another one called Hater, uh, which I do recommend. If you like zombie fiction, go check those out. And I had him on a couple of times just to, just to chat about a couple of different things, mostly horror. And uh, he sent me a letter and an uh, uh, I've got it over there somewhere uh, a pre-edited um, manuscript collection of one of his books, signed and like you know thanks for having the podcast and stuff. You know that's really cool. That's you know, like again, like that's a really nice thing to do, just to sort of say thanks and stuff. And so, um, it, it's it sounds like you know, I'm not out to grab free stuff. That's not to say if you want to send me free stuff, I'm not going to say no. But that's not what I'm here for. <laughs> but a lot of what I, my my experiences of doing this, just off the whims that have comes up, you know, have come up, have been incredibly positive. Um, I think there's probably only been a couple of instances where I've just gone, well, that was that was shit, but I've, I'm out of time and I can't do anything else, so I better put this one out. Um, but for the most part, it's been incredibly positive. Um, and, and, you know, um, a real joy. I mean, it's one of the reasons I like doing it so much. Do you think outside of all these amazing people who sort of really appreciate the world. Do you think people, when they find out that you're into all this sort of stuff, do they treat you differently because of a stereotype or otherwise? Oh yeah. Yes. 100% you get treated differently. The, the irony is of this is, you know, they, the, the, for example, at work, like, you know, there'll be the ribbon and the jokes of like, Oh yeah, Scott, he's the geek. Um, people celebrate certain things. Okay. So, um, they'll have a good, say for example, we'll have a team meeting and I've got, you know, 12, 13 people, me and my other people on my team and my boss, and they'll go around and be like, you know, well, okay, well, you, you've had your week outside of work. What's been your success this week? You know, so that's the sort of cliched stuff that they'll do. And so you'll go around and people will be like, um, I, you know, they're, they're massive into cycling. Oh, I went for a 50 mile bike ride at the weekend. It's, it's broken my record. And I'm really chuffed with it. Oh, well done. Then there'll be somebody else that's really into barbecuing or, you know, they've bought a new car or whatever. And it get around to me and I'll be sort of like, 
most recently, I've been working with 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 um, Julian for Sequa, the the organisation he runs, on a book for about Judge Dredd. It's a collection of essays uh, about Judge Dredd. So I, I've been editing it. Uh, other people have contributed the essays. I've done one, and so that's been a real passion project for me for like the last sort of twelve months. And so on these team meetings, I'll be like, "Oh yeah, and I'm really excited. I've got the last of the essays in. I've started to edit the first draft. It's been a real success." This. And everyone's sort of like, oh, right, yeah, you're writing a book about Judge Dredd. You're writing your comic book. And he's like, you've just cheered someone for cycling 20-odd miles. You know, that's it's great, but it's not producing anything. Right? I'm literally I'm, I'm putting something out into the world. I'm putting something of myself into this. to put it into, And you're still going to sort of like, you know, there's going to be the, oh, he's the weird one. He's off again, isn't he? Um, none of them believe me, by the way, this thing was going to happen. They kept saying, "Oh yeah, when's it going to be out?" When's it be out? And then you show. Then I showed them the cover, and I'm like, "No, no, I've, you know, we've paid for this. I've had a professional artist do a cover." Oh, all right. So this this is real then. Yes, it's a book. One one of them even said to me, "Sort of, um, is it a real book or no? Is it sorry? Is it a digital book or is it a real book?" I said, like, "What What do you mean? Is it a real book? You know, is it a, is it a book we're going to be able to buy?" And I'm like, "Yes." What what else? What kind of other book do you think it would be? So there is, there's definitely this sort of notion of 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 do, you know it's the weird hobby. Yet they've all bloody watched Game of Thrones. They all watch The Mandalorian. Do you know what I mean? It, it, there's, there's this weird thing of sort of like it's in the pop culture. There's the mainstream, which is like, oh yeah, we all watched, like I say, Game of Thrones or uh, Westworld or one of those you know that they're going to talk about and you go you you do know you're watching a sci-fi or a fantasy show <laughs> yeah, yeah it was really good it's got dragons in it and like have you seen willow no that's geek stuff <sighs> it's got dragons in it you know it's sort of like there's this weird sort of there's this strange notion of sort of like you know what's accepted by mainstream culture to being Except there's there's like a boundary, isn't there? There's like you get like these parameters that says within these parameters, geekdom is accepted within the mainstream. So, The Walking Dead, or you know, um, um, Game of Thrones, or you know, Westworld, mainly HBO shows, but like these big, you know, you get these American shows, or even stuff over here every now and then. You'll get something that everyone gets into. Everyone's sort of excited by. And it works with like the MCU is a really good example. You know, I don't know anyone that that will really sort of like shit on the MCU, um, but you sort of get the mainstream that go like, no, I'm really, I really like Captain America, or you know, I really like the the Avengers movies or whatever. And you go, ah, oh, great. And you get then you sort of go like, oh, have you ever sort of thought about reading? Oh, I don't read comics. Comics are for kids. You know, but you've you've just watched a film. Um, You've just watched a film about a man who dressed as, dressed as a flag <laughs> and you tell me how much you enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, but comics are for kids. Right, all right. I can't, I can't get my head around this so much. Like, you know, and it is, there's this weird sort of acceptable thing of like, if it's movies and TV, I think is the thing, isn't it? It's like, if it's in that realm, it's almost acceptable because it becomes part of the standard culture. Um, Harry Potter's the same. Like, you know, you can say sort of like, you know, there's, there's, there's the Harry Potter is in sort of like the mainstream Harry Potter world is like massively successful and wonderful. I'm glad it is. But Harry Potter's this weird thing of like, 
if you're accepting, you can read the books and you can, you know, watch the films. And you go, oh, great. And then you get people that go like, you know, oh yeah, I, I'm I'm a gr- I'm in Gryffindor. And they're like nerd. And you go, oh no, that's that's Hufflepuff. You know, that's <laughs> they're the nerds, not me. Um, but like you said, that's too far. There's there's these parameters that once you start to go outside those parameters, people get a little bit uncomfortable. Um, and that's that's the thing I think. There's this is sort of like you know, and that you, you sort of like you, you mentioned sort of before we started, like you know, at some point the you know this thing of geek will fall away. It won't. It will never fall away. And the mainly because it's these parameters they may shift a little bit, and they have shifted in my lifetime because um, you know, I mean, these films and these TV shows didn't exist when I was a kid. If I if I told people at school that I liked Red Dwarf even though they would have watched it as well. The fact that I wanted to talk about it would have got me that sort of, you know, you know, shut up, nerd. You know, oh, fair enough. The first time I, I noticed, the, the, first, the first time I noticed, I mean, you know, I'm sure this happened with other things, but for me was uh, I noticed sort of like the, the cool kids or, or the regular, let's call them normal people, uh, regular people talking about a sci-fi or sort of like a geek culture concept was the X-Files. Um, and again, I can remember this where I started watching it and I was aware of it and, and sort of thing. And then people in school were like, Oh yeah, have you, have you been watching this TV show? And, you know, the X-Files. And I'm like, yes, I have. I've been watching it since the beginning. And they're like, All right, shut up. Um, but it was this thing of like, all of a sudden there was this thing that existed that people were willing to, to, to talk about. Um, but again, there were still parameters. There were still boundaries on that. Like, yes, you can talk about the show. Do you read the comic or, or the magazine that's published monthly? Yes, I do. Do they want to know about that? No, they don't. Like, you know, I read the tie-in novels. And I, was, I was a massive X-Files fan. Again, there are, there are boundaries. And Mike and I have had this conversation before about Star Wars. You know, sort of like, he is a massive... Um, Star Wars fan, like the, the guy's like an encyclopedia of Star Wars knowledge, and so like you know he'll say like people will watch the films or you know the Mandalorian or you know that sort of thing, and so they'll and I'm a I'm a sod for this because I don't want him up. Oh, there's a bloody plot hole there. Look at that, and he'll be like, well, in this novel <laughs> or in this issue in this issue of the Star Wars comic, they address that, um, and I like to pick him up on that sort of stuff, and it's it's but it, but it's true. But for him, like you know that the, the norm is much wider because he's like, no, it's an entire universe, and there's all this other stuff going on. There's games and books and blah 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 blah. But to most people, it's like here's the films, maybe the games, you know, and that's the sort of thing um, that that sort of d- drives it. Uh, and I think games is another one. You know, the Batman, the Arkham games. I I almost I almost resent them a little bit. Um, and this is ridiculous, you know, because but pe- pe- people would get on the bandwagon and be like, you know, oh, yeah, sort of like if you if you if you've seen this, you know, this is the real Batman, and that's when they sort of justify him beating the shit out of people, and you go like, nah, it's not, <laughs> you know, oh, this Kevin Conroy, yeah, he isn't he the best Batman? Yeah, he was also the best Batman in nineteen ninety two when I was watching him as a kid, you know, sort of like it's not that I'm not it's not to say that I was there first, but it's this thing of sort of like. You know, this is the right now. The boundaries of normality within the geek culture in regular culture is, you know, the Arkham games and 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 these things, and you know the Batman movies. And you go, oh, okay, here. Yeah. Do you know? Have you watched Mask of the Phantasm? 
no, what's that? Oh, it's a film from 1993. And they just look at you like blank and you go, don't, don't worry about it. It's, <laughs> don't worry about it. It's a cartoon. Um, and, and and so I find that there is, that you're, you're always going to have that. And I've got, no, you know, I've got no problem with that. Know those boundaries, understand those boundaries. But the fact of the matter is, if you love this stuff, whatever you do, like if you love this stuff, um, go outside those boundaries and go just, you know, f- just go fucking nuts. To be part of a better phrase, like go follow your passion, you know. Because um, one one of the weirdest conversations I ever had. This was hot on holiday years ago. And I was it was in Greece, and there was football on the telly, and there was a guy there, and uh, he he was he had, he had the scarf. Fuck knows what team it was. I don't care, but he was. He was getting excited about his team. Lager everywhere. <clears throat> and he grabs me and starts dancing. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm drunk and what we, what we celebrating? And um, it was some football. You're gonna come, you're gonna you need to come, come on, mate, you need to come watch the football. No, I'm alright, thanks. I'm not I'm not interested. What you don't like football? Not really. No, I've got no interest in it. I'm, I'm happy, I'm going back, I'm gonna go back to the wherever it was. I mean saying something like, you know, oh, so how do you put it? Is it? It wasn't so much. Are you gay? It was about. It was along those lines, you know. But oh, yeah, put this was in the nineties, so it was. It was a slightly different time. You're a puffer kind of thing. And he's like, no, no, no. But the, and I remember sort of saying to him, I was like, no, no, no. I'm going to read my book. <laughs> I think it was my response, which as a teenager is probably the worst thing you can say to people when you've had a few beers. No, I'm going to read my book. And I was actually reading the the the, the death and life of Superman. They did a novelization of it, and I was reading that had the Superman emblem on the front with the with the blood dripping down it. And it, I remember him just looking at that and him saying, look at me then, and it was like, ugh, weirdo. And it, I think that was like my first realisation. I was just like, yeah, yeah. All right. I, I, think, I, I think I am outside of this culture. But in my head, as I've grown up, I'm like, you're, you're the one that brought a football scarf with you on holiday to watch a football match at home uh, you know, and it's sort of like, how is that any different? Like, you are obsessed with something. Like, you know, it's, it makes it's no. There is no. You you do you. You know, you love your passion. Fine, but to then look at somebody else and go, "Well, you're weird," and you go, "Well, no." It, it's it's I don't know. It's this bizarre mentality, and it comes down to the thing again. What's within the acceptable? It's the cool kids at the at the back of the bus, don't it? They they dictated the the when you're a kid, they dictated the boundaries. You know, sort of like we're the cool kids. We'll tell you what's cool and what's not cool. I was, I'll give you a hint. I was never on the back seat of the bus. Um, it's, it's, yeah. So I think geek, I think the geek boundaries will always exist. Um, and luckily, if, if you are lucky as we are, you will find a bunch of other wonderful people outside those boundaries that share your passions and enthusiasm and others. And they'll go, if you like this, you might like this and introduce you to a whole bunch of other stuff as well. So, it's not that it's a wilderness out there. If anything, it's probably more exciting outside those boundaries than it is inside the boundaries. So, of all of all the, the, the fandoms, you know, and, and by that I mean, if we were to group it against sports or whatever, you know, these are the things. I think geek culture has got the biggest diversity in so many different ways. That's not to say it's that's not to say it's perfect. It's 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 not. I mean, there is real toxic, vile uh, fandom out there as well, which makes it almost unbearable at times. 
but the thing I think they're missing out on with some of these people is just the the variety of things. Do you know, like if you, the, it's it's the limitations that people put on themselves. You know, of saying sort of like, well, I'm going to read this or I'm going to watch this, but that's that's too weird for me. And you go, well, how do you know? Go try it. You know, if you think you're going to be judged for reading that book or for watching that film, like that, you know, it's it's especially now that things are so accessible. You know, if you want to go and watch this film, watch it in your own home, do your own thing, see if you like it. Like, you know, if you don't like it, switch it off, move to something else. But I think this is a weird limitation. And um, I like to, as I said before, these different perspectives. I'm so glad to see that representation is, is and it's it's creeping. I think that's the only way I can call it. It's creeping into this sort of thing, even in the, the outskirts representation is creeping into sort of fandom in, 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 you know, in fandom content. And I think that's good. And, you know, but it, there's so much more. And I think so to some people who go like, Oh, I, I, I like to read the odd horror book and you go, oh, okay, have you read, you know, and you go, oh, I like this author. You are oh, good. You should try this. And just to be open to those suggestions, I don't think a lot of people are. And to be up to, to be open to sort of like some really sort of like you know they're gonna we're gonna push your boundaries out a little bit you know sort of like oh you like um, you know those I, I read a lot of Stephen King brilliant good for you have you tried you know here's another horror author you might like you know um, you know I'm not I'm not gonna try and push everybody to you know to H.P. Lovecraft or anything like that you know but like here's these other authors that you may like. I mean, you know, I'm thinking about sort of, um, yeah, Clive, you know, you know, people go, oh, I've read, I've really liked, I really like this. Right. Have you read the, uh, have you read early Clive Barker, you know, sort of, or have you read this? Have you read that? I wish people were just more open to this, or the opportunities that, that, that of trying some of this stuff. Um, and that's not so that they shouldn't experience their own passion, but like you say, you know, if they like the walking dead, Okay, have you have you have you watched the original Night of the Living Dead? You know, um, and if you don't, if that's too serious for you, whatever, have you have you seen Return of the Living Dead? That's awesome. You know, go and watch some of the other things. Take my recommendations. Um, and it's not that I want to sit there and just recommend such people, but you, I think the thing is, there are people that I have met that are just very sort of like anally retentive about what they want to spend their time doing. Um. And some of it's just sort of like, you know, people will say to me, like, yeah, I, I, I did, en- I really enjoyed that show. I really enjoyed Game of Thrones. Cool. Have you watched Lord of the Rings? Oh, no, I don't like that fantasy crap. And you're just like, eh? Like, you you clearly do. Go and watch it. Like, give it a try. It's not, it's not going to, it's not going to hurt you. I think that's the thing. It's just, you know, um, it's funny. Like, there's a comic for every, like I always say, there's a comic for everybody. <laughs> You know, like someone's going to, there, there is so much fantastically odd content out there that there is a comic for everybody. And that's not superhero comics. I'm not limited enough to that. But like, if you liked something, you know, like there is going to be a comic equivalent that I can recommend. Well, I probably couldn't recommend you everything, but you could go looking and find a comic that would like really sort of hit your, you know, hit that pitch for you, whether it be horror or. Doesn't even have to be sci-fi. The amount of like you know those sort of like Harry Crumb comics from the sort of the seventies and the eighties, or uh, what's sort of Strange Days. These ones that sort of follow like you know dr- almost a soap opera kind of things. Th- th- some of that's really good stuff. You know why not try these things? So 
I think it's just um, those boundaries blind people to the opportunities because it's fear of being seen as the weird one. I mean, it's it's that thing of like you know, um, the cliche of sort of like you know hiding, um, you know uh, something else, hiding a, a book inside another book. You know, I'm going to put I'm going to put a, a conservative sort of accepted book cover on the on the on this book, so everyone thinks I'm reading this instead of this. I'm I'm sat here. I've got all. I've got, yeah, let me show you. I've got my I've got my Harry Potter books here. You know, my bright red Harry Potter book. I've got no bloody qualms about reading that on the bus. Someone says to me, "You're you're a forty year old man. Why are you reading Harry Potter? It's fucking awesome, mate. That's why because I love it. <laughs> What's the problem?" I think that's that that's that's the concern. People people often worry about what other people are going to think, and I think I just wish people would let that fall away a bit. Life is too short. Like you know, you don't get to the end of the life and go. Oh, I really wish I'd read this, or I really wish I'd watched that, or I really wish I'd done this. I mean, one of the things I've I've, I've thought about doing, and unfortunately, there's no effort to be done here. Like, you know, you see you see these people with sat on a broom playing Quidditch. Like they're not flying, but they're running around playing Quidditch and stuff. There's a part of me that's like, oh, I'm going to do that. You know, I'm <laughs> at some point in the next year or two, once once lockdown, once COVID's sort of done and dusted, I'm going to find myself a Quidditch match and I'm going to do it because it looks like a ton of fun. Um, and I've just not got around to it. But it's, yeah, that's one of the things on my bucket list. So like, yeah, why not? Do it. Go do these things. So, you know, lo- love doing what you do, but also be willing to go out and try new things, try more stuff. like to hear more from scott you can listen to his podcast 20th century geek or his other podcast with dr darius stories out of time and space you can contact him on twitter at 20th century geek or find out more information at 20thcenturygeek.com a super dummy production for fantastic universes find out more at fantasticuniverses.com and superdummy.co.uk slash geek you can contact the show on twitter at era of geek or by email geek at superdummy.co.uk you can support the show and fantastic universes by joining our patreon patreon.com slash fantastic universes